0: Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Coffee and Circuses. This week I'm joined by Laura Jenkinson, the brains and the pen behind Greek Myth Comics. On today's show, Laura talks about how the aspirations of one of her students to become an animator was what led her to pick up her pen and start drawing again, how the X-Files makes for good background noise, when Greek Myth Comics made it onto the front page of Reddit, who her favourite graphic novel artists and authors are, and why she was happy to see the back of the TV show Atlantis. She also chats about being part of the Amarantus and His Neighbourhood project, which seeks to teach school kids about life in and around the bar of Amarantus in Pompeii, shedding light on the lower classes of Roman society, who so often have been ignored in favour of their villa-owning counterparts. Yep, we're all looking at you, Caichelius. Working alongside Laura on this is former guest of the podcast, Caroline Lawrence, who is writing the story, with info provided by the likes of Dr. Sophie Hay and Professor Andrew Wallace-Hadrill. Just want to say a big thank you to Laura, who recorded this after having slept rough the night before with some of her students to raise money for charity. Also, thank you to Ryan from the Greek History Podcast for suggesting Zencastr to record episodes remotely. I think you'll find there's a definite jump in sound quality from the Skype episodes that I've recorded previously. Technology, eh? It's always moving forward. So, as always, thanks for joining me, and on to the show.
1: Fifth form, so year eleven, um every couple of years they do a sort of rough sleep out for Centrepoint Charity, homelessness charity. And um we get together and they have to build a sort of cardboard village. So they we they the school saves up some cardboard and um they bring in sleeping bags and they lay out the cardboard in the the, the bag racks of the school effectively, so where they'd normally leave their stuff. So it's a bit of shelter. And, um, and they have to get through the night really with only the resources that someone who is homeless would have. Um, and it's, it's quite useful for giving them a bit of a taste of, of some people's reality. Um, Although they do find it a little bit too fun sometimes, um, but it was great, and they generally were really, really good. And they raised five hundred pounds, which was really cool. So oh, that nice. will that will um, house a homeless person, a homeless young person at Centrepoint for a year, which is great. So, oh wow! Um, so yeah, so we have we have um, quite a lot of charities in the school and. Oh. So we will have different houses in the school as well. So each house has their own particular charity that they support. And my house's charity is is, um, Centrepoint, which is is good because I used to live in London and uh, work quite close to Centrepoint as well. And um, it's obviously such always an ongoing need uh, for that kind of
0: aid. That's quite quite a good little segue there in terms of Centrepoint, by which you mean around the corner from the British Museum?
1: Yeah, pretty much. When I lived in London well, I'm from London originally and um I moved back to London for a short bit after living in Oxford for a while. And um no, wait, no, I didn't. Sorry, that's rubbish. I was living in Oxford and I commuted back to London for a while. Or oh, was I commuting to no, do you know what I'm completely confused? It was in the midst of time. I <laughs> moved back to London briefly before i moved to oxford where my then partner was doing a phd and so i was for a few months i worked at waterstones on gower street so really close okay. to uh, tcl um and centrepoint and it was amazing it was only like 3 months but i can remember the whole thing really really vividly and it was around the time when there was the protest march against um the war in iraq and that started from mm-hmm. right outside the bookshop so i I couldn't go because I was at work so it's watching that from above and um and then I moved to Oxford and for the last month of working in London I was commuting from Oxford so it was a bit it got a bit complicated after a while and then I started working at another bookshop actually in Oxford so that was Blackwell's um which was obviously much more convenient um and rival bookshop and everything but uh really really nice as well I, I, yeah I did a lot of book selling and Centrepoint was just around the corner when I was working in London that was a long answer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're still in Oxford now, right, as well? No, I'm um, in
1: Portsmouth. Yeah, so I was going to say cuz
0: Oxford is an expensive place to live.
1: It is, and um my book selling salary was very small and I I because I was living with my partner at the time who was doing a PhD, we were actually living in student uh, mature student accommodation. So that's the only way I could actually really afford to live in Oxford at all. And it's the fact that both of us were paying for it. But now I, um, no, I moved from Oxford to sort of Portsmouth area about 13, 14 years ago and uh, moved properly to Portsmouth about t- uh, eight, 10 years ago, I think. So I'm a Portsmouth lass now, almost officially. I'm now married to a Portsmouth man so I think that makes me much more of a Portsmouth class and um and then I did do a stint where I moved back to London in between both those things and then moved back down here so I I was teaching in London for a little while and didn't really like it so I came back uh to the school I was working at before um just because I wasn't able to teach classics at the school in London even though they said I could so I came back here and uh, to teach classics instead, which is my one true passion, it seems when it comes to actually teaching things. Despite actually having trained as an English teacher,
0: so as you explained, your I suppose you would say your day job is is as a teacher teaching <laughs> classical civilization and literature. But then you are also other big thing is the Greek myth comics, yeah, um, classical comics. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you could just explain a bit about that,
1: okay, so. Ah, uh, let's see. So it was about 2014. I had to go and check actually when it was because the years have just started like running past. It's about 2014, and um, i was teaching uh, classical civilization to the biggest A level class I think I ever had, which was 12, which was pretty huge in our in our school, uh, where classes tend to be a bit smaller at A level. Um, for this subject and I was teaching the Iliad and there was a few things I just weren't quite getting and it sort of coincided with one of my pupils um, Parham Srusin he was saying that he decided he wants to become an animator and he knew I was really interested in this and I think around the time in fact my brother was um, retraining as an animator and I said you've got to have a you've got to have a portfolio um, and he didn't so I said right Have a challenge. I was feeling I want to get back into drawing, hadn't done any in a long time. Um, so I started drawing, he started drawing New Year's resolution, and uh, it kind of went into that. He'd drawn this really cool um stick men version of the Aristea, which is on the site, and I thought, well, great, okay this is really good because I was thinking, how do we, I was trying to get all the class to do something that would help them understand the stages of an Aristea in the Iliad. So when they go and they go on their big fight and he did this great one, the stick man. I thought, Oh yeah, I used to draw stick men all the time as a kid. You'd have like, you ever do that? We have a big sheet of paper and you just draw some boxes on it. And then you get three different color or four different colored rows, and you just start drawing stick men at war and you fill up the whole page did you ever do that or was that just me?
0: <laughs> um I do draw a lot. Not necessarily in that style. Yeah. I do I like to doodle spaceships, for some reason is my thing. Oh, I like <laughs> spaceships.
1: So I was like, oh, okay, so stickman, brilliant. All right. And also not too challenging, let's face it. Um, so I'll do some stickman too. So I started the the website effectively to get him drawing more, and then it got me drawing more. So I'd say to the class, right, what concept that we looked at in the last couple of weeks that maybe you'd like a visual interpretation of, and they'd feed me some. So I think I, uh, I think the first thing I drew was like a bit of, um, I think it was a bit of uh, god Hesiod. I thought I'll start at the beginning. I'll draw every myth. And I drew this first one. I was like, this is not right. This is not my (laughs) style at all. So it's still up there. Number one. And I never went anywhere with Hesiod, unfortunately, maybe one day. And then I drew a couple of comics on divine inspiration and uh, divine intervention because they were getting a bit confused between the two topics because they sound quite similar and that actually really did the trick and i bring it up in class then on the screen so the idea was instead of having to save them and then search through my folders and put it out or print it off i could just put it on the screen and they could use that as a visual representation and then um uh i think i must have still been teaching some english at the time or maybe they were asking about it for english about hamartia so they were doing um uh, they were doing tragedy in English literature, so I do one on Hamartia. And then epithet and simile. So little things that were just kind of important. So almost like, right, can't remember what this is, quickly check the list of comics you've got. And it, it was just kind of doing the trick, really. And Parham had drawn nothing else <laughs> at this point. Mm-hmm. So it's just I'd, I'd clearly just segued into this, although he did do some stuff for me later on. Um and and it just kind of went from there, and I did it on WordPress just because it was uh, it was free and it was easy. Um, and they had there was a um, one of the themes on on there was actually for comics. So instead of having a post, you'd have a comic. So it was it was better bandwidth apparently for images. I thought oh, that'd be good. Um, and yeah, so that was all through 2014. And then I thought, wow, my my classics. Class GCSE are studying books 5, 6, 9, 10, 12 of the Odyssey. Maybe I should try drawing that. So I did. And I had this tiny little slightly, I think it was A6 notepad that I started drawing in. So everything ended up being tiny. And then even on this notepad, I realized when you look through my old drawings, they're like I'm trying to squish them, to squish more and more panels onto one page. And my dad said he saw this. He said, Why did you just make them bigger? And I, I said, well, I've started now, and I, I didn't, I wasn't even scanning them properly at the time. I was just, um, I was using a scanning app on my phone, so it wasn't really um, brilliant or anything. The quality is is not great. One day I'll go back and redraw those, but I got so into it. And i come home Tuesday night. I didn't have any marking, so I'd managed to rearrange my timetable. And I'd come home and I'd draw for like six or seven hours. I go to bed about three and I'd have an entire chapter of the Odyssey just drawn. And then on Saturday mornings, I started going to the cafe near my house um, and sitting there again for about four or five hours and they're just bringing me English cups of coffee. Um, hmm. And uh, there's something
0: about working at a cafe that just yeah. for me resonates as well. I, I, I like working with a sense of white background noise. Yeah. Sometimes I find silence is a bit too oppressive. So I like going somewhere where I can't hear an individual, but I can just hear this kind of rumble of a background noise. Uh, Absolutely. I just find a similar sort of thing. I find it productive in coffee shops. Also, the coffee helps as well.
1: This is true. I I feel like I can't really justify going to coffee shops now because I have a a lovely study in in my house now, um, which I've all set up and everything. I've got a view of the garden for if I need to look at anything, but it's quite high up. So I have to screen to look at it. So it's not too distracting. But then I distract myself because I've got two screens now. One, so I can actually see what I'm doing when I edit it. And the other one is where I put on anything I fancy putting. Well, I, I've, I've worked my way through Amazon Prime Video and Netflix. And at the moment, I'm back to this X Files, which is quite nice after like 20 years. So I'm on, I'm about series three of the X Files, which I've watched so much. It's just stuff in the background that I know that I can listen to without watching. So similar to a cafe. Maybe it's not quite as effective as a cafe, but um, if it's my holiday, then, you know, I don't necessarily want to feel like I'm working.
0: Uh, I have got to ask quickly, uh, did the student go on to become an animator? He
1: has. He has since, in fact, gone on to be. And in fact, um, he recently published uh, a really quite fab little online piece. I think I I tweeted it Um, and he put my name in the credits which is really nice. Oh. And he, I've I've got quite a few students who've gone on to do really cool, exciting things. And they tend to be the ones who keep in touch, which is really lovely. I mean, I'm old enough now that I went to an ex-student's wedding uh, back in June, wow. which was lovely. And it was amazing that they also invited me anyway. I mean, after he went off to university, we he's kept in contact, and I was sort of trying to mentor him to do more writing, because he's, he's, he's actually yeah. a I was great say, must playwright. Be a-
0: yeah, must be a very rewarding uh, feeling. I mean, that's the thing. I love it now. I I, I occasionally get yeah. um, emails or uh, students contacting me that I've taught previously who are just updating me on their their current progress and where they're at. An email. A student emailed me a couple of weeks ago just to say thank you. He's been studying at the uh, British School in Rome for oh, the summer, wow. which I did a reference for, and I taught him before that. And it's just very nice, to, like just get an email just to say thanks, basically nothing, nothing else really. And it's yeah, it's very, it's very uh, rewarding feeling knowing that you've uh, you've made a difference to, yeah. to somebody's life in that way.
1: It's kind of the point, isn't it?
0: It's it's almost
1: like that that's that's your reward for for doing all of this, and it is it's that that's enough. Just knowing that you did actually help them is rather lovely.
0: It's interesting as well, though, what you're saying. Um, previous uh, episode of the podcast had Emma Bridges on uh, from mm. the Institute of Classical Studies, you know, to, uh, public outreach fellow there, and we were talking about how what well, we were talking about the importance of utilising different media to engage people in the classical world and essentially that's 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 what you've done really isn't it i suppose Uh, yeah utilize drawing you you've, you've tapped into passions that people have beyond that well maybe they don't necessarily at first realize can be used to explore the ancient world and then when they realize they can do suddenly the whole thing comes to life almost a bit more than perhaps it did initially for them
1: I'd hope so
0: um
1: I mean I, I I guess that that was what I was thinking when I was doing it and I didn't want it to be ridiculously over detailed this is why I stuck with stick men. and um someone pointed out to me uh, at school in the last year that there is actually a name for what I'm doing and I've, for the life of me now of course I can't remember it because I've been up far too late and I've now had Way too much coffee. Um, it'll probably come yeah. back to me halfway through this or probably after this. Um, but it's where you accompany what you're teaching with images. Um, and then after a while, you can take away the words and just leave the images and let the students put the words back in. And using, I mean, images are, are so good for. Images and smells and all sorts of things are always good for just getting your memories to sort of pop back and and training your brain to respond to images with words or with information is is just so useful because we use images for everything now um yeah I'm just trying to get my brain now to i should have drawn a picture of what it was obviously um i can't remember the word for it um but it 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 does seem to work i've got such a mixed group of students um in my gcse and my a level classes and some of them do really find that actually you know you go back and you get them to draw their own comic of what they've learned or draw a visual representation of, of this thing effectively what i've done i think we used to do a, a homework to go along with the um the cambridge latin course uh, which we to our, our first year where for the story felix et they had to do a storyboard of it and so they had to pick out the most important um, bits of the story in latin and put them back into their story in latin um with an image to represent it as well so that they'd shown they'd understood what was happening and um just that that simple thing it's it's People think, "Oh, it's just a drawing homework, but it's not it's really getting them to think a lot often a lot harder than they might they They haven't forgotten that story at all. They're always um you know repeating random bits of it in class because they they can uh, they can remember it really clearly.
0: Mm. I think sometimes there are misconceptions that people have about what constitutes you might say authentic study of the ancient world. Some people can. i th- I've talked about this on a number of occasions on the podcast, particularly mm. looking at things, for example, like reception studies. Yeah. Sometimes you find there's a bit of, you might say, pushback against that in terms of people don't think looking at movies or TV constitutes the real in uh, scare quotes study of the ancient world. Uh, but in actual fact, all that stuff is like very important because it's about how people actually are first exposed to it more often mm. than not. Um, but yeah, there's there's a whole kind of range of ways as we were saying of exploring the ancient world uh and i think every all of it's valid as long as people's as long as people are responding to it and getting something out of it yeah it's just yeah it's fascinating like the different ways in which people as you say can learn stuff as well the idea of uh having the pictures and eventually taking away the words and then the picture stays i think it just is a testament to the fact that Different people's brains work in different ways. Yeah. They take on information and engage in different ways.
1: I mean, when I was um, studying to be a teacher, we were engaged, uh, sorry, we were meant to be looking at the, the different styles of learning, kinesthetic, like audio stuff. Now we're told that's rubbish, but it's not rubbish. So, you know. the the popular opinion has changed but it it does work like that and and in terms of how say bringing up media works so well like i've just introduced a brand new set of year sevens to latin we haven't actually started looking at it yet we're looking at etymology and we actually um every so often something might come up that you know this is why this is like this in harry potter and then that will link you to a whole discussion of i think we were discussing why queerness cruel is is called what he is, and his links to Cronus, Janus, and having two faces. And I actually did a whole set of comics on uh, the names in Harry Potter for um, the Iris's Festival of Imagined Worlds a couple of years ago. I was the illustrator at the Harry Potter section, which was very cool, and created a couple of these classroom resources that I gave out. And and that's great because the kids they immediately have these fabulous light bulb moments like oh I know this and actually now I understand it more and it's more valuable to me so things like that and the Hunger Games um uh, even Percy Jackson although I try and uh, it's, it's not my favorite uh, branch of um, young adult literature using the classical world but a lot of them have come through to classics by reading something that has had these allusions to it or has used bits of it and and it's almost because they've come in through their own interest, and then they get to the proper stuff, as people might call it, you know, actually proper study of the classical world, it it does absolutely validate what they've done. Um, But, you know, they don't have to necessarily then go on to study it properly, the fact that they've enjoyed it, and they've understood it, and they've understood where it comes from. That's valuable enough, really, because they're now aware of something that they weren't aware before. And that's really just what, teaching should be, i suppose at its basic level
0: yeah i think um as i was saying i think teaching the basic point of it is to engage people in a subject uh, it, and there are different ways of doing that with people each one as valid as the other really i think as well like just the important thing is at least i think anyway is that you have to make it fun yes. <laughs> like <laughs> nobody nobody really likes learning something that is Boring. Yeah. like i mean it can be the best subject in the world but if it's being presented to them in a way that they find very dry or it doesn't really appeal to their their interests or uh, you know i suppose you might say the way they learn um the things that are sticking their brain then even if it is the greatest thing in the world they're not going to take it on board they're not going to necessarily yeah, gonna enjoy it into... i think the most important thing about learning yeah. is Yes,
1: I, I I, have a little motto is that if I'm not having fun in the classroom, then the kids definitely aren't. Um, so, yeah, I do try. I mean, obviously, they've got to, to then, you know, do formal learning as, as well. But there's lots of ways to make it more interesting and engaging and fun. Um, and that's definitely that's definitely something I've always tried to do, hopefully manage. Um, but I, I mean, when I, when I do the comic safer on the Odyssey, I kind of want to make it fun. But at the same time, I want to make it really, really accurate. And didactic as well um, but I think just having it in comic form does make it kind of fun I suppose but yeah it's um, it, it, there's there's so many opinions about education and it's always something that, um, that, that people will have opinions on because everyone's been to school and everyone's had a teacher and uh, it, it's interesting but it's the one thing that sort of stays throughout everything is that oh I remember this teacher because we had fun in their lessons and I actually learned something So I'm kind of
0: hoping to be that teacher, maybe, in some people's memories. With the whole drawing of comics, was that something that you you were into long before you started doing it in the classroom? I mean, is this something that, from your own background, was something that was kind of there for a long time, and then you kind of brought it into the uh, teaching of the the classical world? To be
1: honest, it wasn't at all. Um, My whole family is artistic, so uh there's all there's always been lots of art in the family and we've always been encouraged to to do expressive stuff and stuff um and, and I do really like drawing and I used to paint a lot and I used to like doing portraits um but mostly actually it was writing I thought I'll be the great writer and I'll do all this and I'll be the youngest ever person to get something published which is what I thought when I was eight and I used to make little books and I did used to do the illustrations for them but that was just a secondary thing um and I did, I did do a bit of writing and I managed to write a couple of short stories and I was like, oh, I'm empty. <laughs> so that's gone. So I was then, you know, going back into teaching and trying to bring things in there. And um, the the it really did take me by surprise. In fact, I didn't even really get into comics until my twenties. And I'm quite, quite uh, keen on graphic novels, probably more so than comics. But my... I was a big reader as a kid. My dad was very proud that I had a reading age of nine when I was about five. And so I he'd be bringing home the next book for me to read uh, as long as I'd finished the first one. And I was like making my way through. Um, I don't know if anyone else read these. The Brian Jack's Redwall series, which were amazing, like um, anthropomorphized mice and stuff fighting against rats because rats are clearly evil. Um, in a, in a random scenario of a, a monastery, cause why not? And all of these books were like, I don't know, two, three hundred pages long and I'd be devouring them in a week at like the age of 10. So my dad was very keen on it. So we did loads of reading we went to, um, we went to the libraries every weekend, but then we also went to the museums. And I think, I think it was more classics than comics that I that really, really liked growing up and then chose to do Latin as an additional subject at school, because it wasn't actually generally available, and then moved school so I could study classics and Latin. I was still terrible at Latin, so I didn't know what a verb was, but um, again, the classics, there's so much fodder there, and I could, I suppose I was still visualising it, and then went to university, ostensibly to do classics, but realised my Latin wasn't great, and my Greek was completely non-existent, although I did a summer school in it, so kind of sidestepped back into English and then went down the book route and the book selling and then uh, and then teaching English as my teaching uh, qualification and then got a job where I got to also teach Latin on the basis that I'd done it for GCSE and A-Level and that completely changed everything. So then actually also having a job where I had money, I could go and buy things I didn't have as a child like comics. So then I started picking things out that I, I really very naughtily, I was always going with the artwork style over what the story was about, but I found that that kind of suited my interests so and um, I suppose that sort of at some point they sort of smashed into each other and turned into i 'll do a comic strip of this and And so, and yeah, and in fact, now it's I I I haven't actually drawn a proper comic in blooming ages because I've sort of landed the the dream job really. So I'm working with CSCP um, who do the the Cambridge Latin Course on a history teaching course based in Pompeii, where I get to work with amazing archaeologists and teachers and um, uh, and recreate parts of Pompeii in illustration form. And, but I've got all the characters I'm drawing. They are like my stick men, but just slightly more detailed. So stick men are really good to like attach clothing to and weaponry and, and everything without you then having this focus on the face. The face is in your mind. You can put the face on the character, but everything else, it's like just a perfect little coat hanger for all the actual details that, that did exist. You know, we don't know what they look like. Um, so I've actually, yeah, it's, it's, gone completely now into almost like actual art rather than comics which so I quite need to go back to that and uh, an illustration and a card game illustration never thought that would happen um, card game um, with Legonium, who does his uh, Lego and Latin figures on, on, on Twitter um, which is, is is coming out where I've got to draw all these fabulous gods in the middle of battle so that's not even like proper stick men because they've got to be kind of almost 3d. Again, very long answer, and I can't even remember what the question was. Sorry. <laughs> um,
0: well, I, was going to, I was going to move on to to asking about the Amaranthus and his neighbourhood. Amoratus and um, his neighbourhood. So because that's involving uh, Caroline Lawrence yes. as well, former former guest of the podcast. and um, yes. uh, I know is it Sophie Hay and Andrew Wallace Hadraw as well. Uh, it's interesting what you were saying about the, with the drawings for that that you basically do like the stick figure and then you add on top of it like clothing and I don't know, I guess like weapons or tools Mm -hmm. or whatever. Is that also partly, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but this is also partly because you're drawing on particularly, I suppose, archaeological evidence. absolutely. And as such, it kind of focuses more on the material culture as opposed to the people. And then you're kind of getting a material culture, but you're putting the people... Into yeah. that scenario, if it's kind of sense. what they
1: did with with the Cambridge Latin course. So you've got this bust of a man he lived in this house, and then they you, you generate him a family, and you 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 write stories that f- would fit with historical evidence and archaeological evidence to try and again bring a certain I hate using this phrase but it's exactly what we're trying to do is bring history alive as it were um so again with 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 uh Amarantus and and his neighbors in this bar that um Dr Hay and Professor Alan George, uh, Professor Wallace Hadrill no Professor Wallace Hadrill sorry Andrew um were <laughs> uh, uh, excavating um and And it is, I get to look at all this stuff that they found. And Caroline Lawrence has created this marvellous story that involves it so that students can then look at actual evidence as it would have been used. And then I get to draw it. And um, I'm obviously really interested in the teaching side too, but I get to draw it. (laughs) I never realised how much this would excite me. And I spent like a week uh, illustrating the, the herculaneum gate which obviously there's not a lot left of it just to try and get it right because i am an absolute perfectionist and so is everyone else so that's great so there'll be whole long conversations about so for example w- what exactly did a synthesis looked like when they're wearing it at saturnalia because i've got to draw it now and then there's like a 24 hour long conversation of messages going mm, it might have looked like this and so and so says this and uh quoting lots of um, bits of of, of um Uh, of of old sort of latin sources and, and so forth um and it's it's so exciting because i'm learning so much so i know students will and like i said before if i'm learning if i'm having fun then i figure the students probably will too but it's kind of an honor as well to work with these kind of amazing people because i really do see myself as um well, I don't I don't feel like a proper classicist at all. I'm, it's kind of my passion project that I've accidentally ended up doing for a living and a hobby. Um, so getting to work with these uh, people who have, you know, actual doctorates or much more experience than me is, um, is really exciting because it makes me feel like I'm doing proper classics work, which it probably sounds a bit silly. But I don't know. Does that sound silly? I know everyone has kind of... I no, you get to
0: live the drink. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also, also I suppose I think a lot of this stuff though does tend to come together without without I'm um, not saying say there's not pre planning for the project, but I mean in terms of you find yourself coming into these situations somehow without really foreseeing that they're going to happen if you know what i mean you know you're just kind of doing your own thing and then somebody picks up on it and then they speak to somebody else and then suddenly before you know it you're in this position classics. where you're like literally oh,
1: wow. what happened uh, in fact it happened on twitter um i met I, all the people i work with i've met on twitter because classics twitter is awesome if you ignore the rest of twitter that's-
0: well, yeah, that's, that's what I've been saying quite regularly, particularly in recent times. I've just, I, I have a very really love-hate relationship with um, social media. There's a certain mm-hmm. amount of social media where I'm just like, oh, I really wish I just could quit this whole thing and go live. Well, not, I don't need to go live <laughs> somewhere else, get social media. It's online. Um, but, you know, just getting off it. But then the flip side of it is that I, I've met people via social media that perhaps otherwise I wouldn't have done. Yeah. Um, people have contacted me about stuff and uh, it has been very beneficial in that regard as well so i think it's uh, it's still one of those things though isn't social media that we're still trying to work out how to best use it yeah. and the way of perhaps getting the best out of it we've also establishing how we can perhaps get rid of the lot of the crappier side of it <laughs> of which there is quite a lot yes. um but hopefully hopefully we're moving that way but yeah no that, that sounds absolutely absolutely fantastic uh, have you been to Herculaneum and Pompeii?
1: I have. Um, Classics teachers get the best school trips. In fact, I'm going back um, uh, this October with a new bunch of kids to go and uh, to go and look at everything. Um, and I've been about three times, I think. But I, oh, I, there's certain parts of it that I feel like I know really well, and then there's other parts where I really don't, um, and I, I feel like I want to go back, and. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, it's such a fantastic couple of places to go that I've I've now added it to because it's not on my GCSE topic list anymore. I've added it to my third year topic list. So they've done a bit of it with the, the CLC book one, and um, and then they they've done a bit more in in the second year on it. And we come back and looking at the actual eruption and why it's there. And a lot of them don't really realise that it's a working site. They just hear this word Pompeii and it's a Roman town and. Um, yeah, so I have been, um, and I love both sites, although Herculaneum's got actual wood, if <laughs> that gets me. its um, Fossilised wood, just, uh, not fossilised, carbonised wood just gets me ridiculously excited, so I can point out, look, this is wood from 2,000 years ago, and then the kids will get also get excited about carbonised wood, and I know I've done my job properly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you paid a visit to this house.
1: Every time we've been, it's been shut. Every oh,
0: really? time. Oh, that's not
1: story. <laughs> I've never been to Kykilius. I know. And what's really annoying is last time he we went, uh, a couple of years ago, um, it we knew it was open the week before because I was scouring other schools' Twitters. And they're like, we've got to go to Kykilius' house. And I'm like, telling my head of department, it's open this time. And then we get there and we can't even get down the street. So I'm really hoping to actually get there is my, my pilgrimage. It needs to happen. Although now, of course, I have, I need to go to Amarantis because I haven't actually been to Amarantis' uh, insula, but I have seen it on 360 video to help me draw it. But I really want to go, but I don't, I don't know if it's accessible right now. So I'm kind of hoping it will be.
0: Oh, well, you know, um, you know the people in the know, so they, they should be out there. know. <laughs>
1: hey Hey guys, uh, wait, uh, <laughs> you
0: it's funny with the uh, the Caecilius house, though, I've heard that said before that for a number of people, particularly people that did uh, Latin at school, that when they go to Pompeii, there's so much to see in Pompeii. But for, a, for the people that did that, the first thing they have, or the, the top of their list is to go visit yeah. the house of Caecilius. As you say, it's almost a pilgrimage for, for some people. Yeah. I've never actually been to Pompeii or Herculaneum. Um, oh, I do need to oh. go one day. S- surprising for a Roman archaeologist, but uh, <laughs> everything I do is later empire, so there's no Pompeii or uh, Herculaneum anymore. So, oh. <laughs> But one day, one day I'll get around to it.
1: You really need to as well. You really need to because, um, like, uh, not, not to worry anyone, but um, we, like, this school trip we can't go to Solfatara, which is nearby, which is actually a massive caldera, uh, because it's, uh, I believe, too dangerous now. Mm, and we used to walk around effectively on the mouth of the volcano. And now I look back and go, wow, OK, we did that, but we can't go. So we're going to go to Pleistam instead, which is great, because I've never been there. And that would be really cool because I kind of want to go somewhere new as well. Um, but yeah, I don't know what that says about the rest of the volcanic um, activity in the area.
0: Well, yeah, that's the same with a lot stream. of things, isn't it, in terms of uh, heritage you know, you think about what's happened in the likes of uh, the Near East and areas of North Africa as well. That we assume mm-hmm. this stuff is around, um, yeah. it's been around for thousands of years. So, oh, it's always going to be there to go and see it. And then, for well, various different reasons, but something happens, and then suddenly you can't do it anymore and you miss your opportunity. So, it's uh, yeah. No, as you say, sometimes it's better to do it sooner rather than later because you yeah. just don't know uh, how circumstances might change, and suddenly you can't uh, get access well, anymore. And is- you wish you had.
1: In in keeping the sites, I mean, they do an amazing job of, of of keeping the site that has been excavated, you know, intact. But one of the things I hope Sophie doesn't mind me talking about this, one of the things that um, I got to draw recently was a f- um, a, a, a fresco at a an altar, um, and um, I was working from photographs from the fifties because you can't see it anymore because it's it's gone. So you know, having been exposed now from you know having me dug up and it's but you once were able to see it but you know weather continues to take its toll on the site and even things that were there and and maybe no longer able to be seen so we I think a lot of the time yeah we really do take for granted that once we've dug it up it's just there I mean it's lasted this long and that's simply not the case Um, so it's made me really I mean, even just that little thing was such an eye opener. Um, it's made well. I, I, I talk to my students a lot about it now, but it, it's made me want to visit it a lot more places. And in fact, um, just this summer, um, uh, my husband and I went to Crete, and, and I'd never been, and I wanted to go for ages. And we went to Crete and a couple of days in Santorini, and we looked at every single archaeological site we could find. I think we must have visited about. 25 in 12 days and lots that are absolutely have nothing to do with what I'm studying uh, or, or or what I'm teaching and he bless him works in computing although we both at one point harbored desires to be Indiana Jones so this sort of fulfills <laughs> that together so I'm not just dragging him around places that are of no use to him um, and we had a great time um, just looking at things that neither of us knew anything about because then you can still learn so much from them. Um, but yeah, it made me very conscious of of what I haven't seen and what I would really like to see while we can still travel and see them and, um, and while they're still there.
0: I did enjoy the series of pictures that you did alongside that as well, where you've done <laughs> yeah. the the individual drawings that you've put into photographs. I thought mean, that was really good, actually. I really like that. Oh, thank you.
1: I Yeah, I, I think... Um, uh, my my drawing, uh, last time we went to Pompeii and the time before that when we went to Greece on a school trip, which we hadn't done for about a decade, I challenged myself to try and do a drawing a day. And one of them, in when we went back to, to sort of a Pompeii area, um, was I drew Aeneas at Solfatara, And so I put him on a background, although it was a sketched background, it was a different colour. And that was Sophie Hayes' favourite comic. And that's why she got me to come and do the Amaranthus project, apparently. So I thought, well, I've got all this... Fabulous backgrounds in these lovely places. Why not try and do it for Cretan myths as well? Because I thought I could use them in class. But that was really fun. And um, I mean, it's very simple, really. It's just a pencil drawing. And then I, again, have a little scanning app on my phone. And then I have an app that takes away background. So I work around that. And then I have an app which allows me to put a different background behind my drawing. And so it's, all, it's like four or five different apps to create one little picture um but it was really quite fun i i clearly can't ever relax because that was what i did when we were meant to be relaxing on holiday but luckily my husband found it very entertaining so uh, he didn't mind um he's he's very tolerant of my interests which is very him.
0: well i mean as you say a lot of uh, you, you you found yourself in that fortunate position where your your interests and your career are very much aligned yeah. i think that's, that's just a good place to be i think it's uh what we we all hopefully aspire to, really.
1: I think we do, don't we? You <laughs> say do what you love, or at least do what you love in a way that still makes you love it. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, that's the other flip side of it. Is like, yeah, the worry is sometimes there's too much of to a crossover, and then you're like, Ugh. But yeah, yeah, as long as you're still enjoying it, that's 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 the most important thing. Do you actually have a favorite uh, comic that you've drawn, or a particular uh, story that you're attached to that you you've illustrated? I mean you've done the odyssey you've I, done uh, heracles well, as well well I think or... that I
1: have I have not finished the odyssey I haven't I wow I really need to go back and just finish book 1 for a start it's a kind of a rod to beat myself with though because the odyssey is long <laughs> and I don't know if I could ever really do it justice but if I do manage to finish it it's going to take years sorry um and um, I've also got people saying, "Please, can you finish the books on the new specification? Because we'd really like to have them as a teaching resource." So, uh, so I guess, yeah, I, I do feel very strongly about the Odyssey, but um, and Heracles was a bit of a labour of love. So I thought I could do his no whole story; that'd be much easier. Oh yeah, good point. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> very good at making inopportune puns and not realising. Um, and. And no one looked at it by comparison to the Odyssey. So I thought, well, OK, I better go back and finish the Odyssey. And now people want Heracles again because he's now on the syllabus, which is great. So that gives me an excuse to draw that too. But I'm only halfway through the Amaranthus stuff and I kind of have a deadline for that. Um, so I kind of feel like that sort of has to come first. But um, I don't know. My I think my favourite thing was the one that... Um, uh, kind of went viral which was very exciting I did an infographic of everyone who dies in the Iliad Mm -hmm. and that was great fun because I got to do research I'm completely useless with numbers I'm completely um discalculate I have an excuse there's a thing I am um and so I started trying to count everything and then discovered that actually the research had been done so use that and Alice Oldswald's amazing poem Memoriam as well um so I was using that um, but then so I drew that I thought this is really interesting converting a story into pictures and numbers and everyone for some reason is massively interested in, in death when they're at school. Um, my students just think it's the most fascinating subject. I suppose that's there. You know, they're going through, well, you know, what is life? <laughs> um, but the really interesting thing was it, it suddenly went to the front page of Reddit and it got viewed like 250,000 times in one day. And... Like, wow, people really love death and the Iliad. But what was really cool is um I went and had a look on Reddit and it sparked loads and loads of conversations about the Iliad, like who was your favorite character and why you agree or disagree with like who I'd picked as most badass or most useless and so forth and what you thought the most gruesome deaths were. And it was great. I was reading all these these people's conversations and people who their only introduction to the Iliad was the film Troy. So they were like, oh, and now I understand this character. Wow, Diomedes—he wasn't even in Troy. Let's have a remake, and so I think that might actually be my favourite, just because of the reach it had and the conversations it started.
0: Yeah, I think interestingly enough that brings it brings it back around to what we were saying earlier about teaching, and it's about starting a uh, starting a conversation is the best way of describing it. It's not necessarily the stuff that you always do yeah. is the is the end point, but it, it gets people, it sets people off in their own journey. I was going to set, set them off on their own odyssey, but uh, yeah, no, I'll go with that. It's a good pun. Uh, sets them off on their own oh. odyssey, uh, exploring the ancient world. <laughs> um, just like switching around a little bit. So you, you mentioned as well, though, that now you yourself uh, read more in the way of graphic novels that, than you used to. Uh, do you actually have any particular graphic novels that have stood out for you? You say you're interested in them primarily, or you're attracted to them initially mainly by the art style. Have there been any that have stood out for you and I suppose to some extent does the art style of graphic novels you read do you ever look at anything in there and think oh I'd like to incorporate that into to my own work I
1: guess I think um okay uh I'll I'll go I'll do Homeric last first order on this question um so I I do often read things and think oh um not that I'd like to incorporate that particular style, but I really like how they've introduced this bit of information. I really like the way that we naturally read panels and um, how that works or how your brain operates when you're when you're presented with information. Um, I did read um, an excellent graphic novel on graphic novels by Scott McLeod, um, cool, um, which is basically like how they work. And um, I was really pleased to read in that about, why I wasn't drawing faces and I realised so you know the the more the more you simplify a face the more you can identify with a face which is why comics that often are very simple uh, have an awful lot of people who just absolutely love them because they can fill in the blanks so I don't draw any face so you can fill in the blanks entirely because well, the way I see it is they're not my characters, so I'm just, you know, presenting you with an, a way of visualizing that character as so much. Um, but I do have a couple of absolute uh, favourite artists. Um, one, Lucy Bellwood, who styles herself an adventure cartoonist and sails tour ships and does whitewater rafting and stuff, and then turns it into these beautiful uh, panels of, of comic where it's just a fabulous sort of um, story going along and the art just looks exactly how it should. It just somehow works perfectly. And then I've also got a famous graphic novel, which was, um, I think, originally uh, a webcomic called Nimona by Noelle Stevenson. And the artwork there is completely different. But again, I just absolutely love it because it it's it just somehow transmits emotions perfectly. Um, so I do have my favourite styles of artwork and then the stories can be completely different. But it's that combination of artwork and story. Whatever art works for the story um, just seems to to get me going. So I'm kind of hoping... That's uh, that's the same kind of thing that I've done with mine. It's just kind of right for that. There's not too much detail. There's enough detail to learn from. I suppose that's the kind of thing that I take from other people's artwork and and put into mine, if anything.
0: Uh, It's just quite interesting what you're saying about how the artwork feeds into the emotion of the story. And I guess that's why we've had so many uh, versions over the years of particularly like prominent superheroes, because... Somebody new comes in, not with just a new story, but with a new artwork style. And it adds something different to the character. It presents the character in a different way, which I suppose in many respects is kind of what people have been doing with the Odyssey, the Iliad, other ancient myths and and ancient history. And much the same in yourself as part of that, how they've communicated it over the years, that bringing a different way of... Displaying it or going all the way back to like you know the Renaissance or whatever, with people like doing these I'm of kind paintings of and sculptures.
1: That you've lumped me in with them, that's really lovely. Because <laughs> 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 when, when when I teach, like for example, I've just started the GCSE course with a new uh, tranche of students, and so um, we're starting off with the gods. And rather than just say here's Zeus, here's a story about Zeus, I'm also trying to br- put in as much. Artwork like ancient artwork going through to more Roman artwork and so forth. So, because so, they're looking at both Greek and Roman and they have to, I'm trying to get them to compare the styles and see what's changed between them. And I suppose then you've just put me at the top end of that, which is rather lovely. Um, <laughs> again, that's sort of I'm, that, that's hitting my imposter syndrome quite hard there. because It's like, how dare you? Honestly, you're nowhere near there. But, but it, it, I do like to think it is part of a tradition and superheroes are just like, the same kind of characters in the Greek myths, but modern. It's just like updated. There's a great book called Gods and Superheroes. And I cannot think who's written it, um, but it's on my shelf upstairs. And um, I, I haven't read it yet, but I will. Um, like Where they really compare um, like modern superheroes to ancient gods. And and uh, in fact, actually, there was a, another great um a graphic novel I loved called The Boys, which was an ongoing series, which actually Amazon Prime has now turned into a series. And it was really good about sort of superheroes and when they when they act too much like gods, really, and who's going to uh, sort of stop them exactly because they, they are mortals. Um, that was another really, really good one that sort of um, continuing that idea of, of, of uh, superheroes and gods mixed together. I am rambling now. I mean, again, I'm trying not to like own what the gods look like again i'm I'm trying to keep it to uh archae- archaeological reality by by doing maybe a stick man with just the kind of symbolic gestures towards what they look like like zeus has a beard carries uh probably his lightning bolt, that kind of thing, um, so that then people can project their own idea onto it. But yeah. I I still, that doesn't stop me from them reading other really gorgeous versions of the same story. There's this great graphic novel version of the Odyssey that's very, very different style. It's this beautiful kind of watercolours Um and uh, it's by Gareth Hines and that it's it's stunning it's a it's a proper piece of art it does faces as well and it changes its color scheme depending on what sort of aspect of the story is being told and um, and my, my favorite moment in that is the bit where Odyssey twangs his bow and the arrow goes right through all the axe heads and it's a glorious moment there's one whole page for a panel practically and then there's the crack of thunder which often I'd sort of not even notice so much when reading Reading the text but he really pulled that moment out and you realize that it's a it's a proper movie trope that a crack of thunder to illuminate what's happening in the narrative that's really really important um and uh, i think that's sort of taken us back then to how sort of classical reception and media using the same kind of here techniques that homer uses uh, effectively which i like to bring up in class why has no one made a decent film of the odyssey or the iliad yet
0: I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's one of those things where, I mean, because there's so much to work with in the ancient world. I mean, I find it very interesting that I suppose you might say, obviously, Gladiator is a resounding success as a film set in yeah. the ancient world. But more often than not, a lot of that stuff seems to fall really flat. Um, and I just think perhaps is there are interesting questions about whose hands those things are in and the way they present them mm-hmm. and are there better ways of going about it. Uh, there are, um, but uh, yeah, no. It's, it's interesting. It's very interesting that these stories that have been around for millennia uh, and clearly resonate with people. People do seem to find very difficult to make a decent film adaptation of them.
1: I see. I like to think of it as being hubris, right? These stories have been specifically Homer, just because that's my kind of pet. Um, every every time I've taught Homer, I've had the students say why is there no decent film of this? And I say, oh, I don't know. And I clutch my head in despair. And they say, we'll make one one day miss. And no one has done that yet. But the hubris of people looking at the story and think they can somehow improve it. And that's when it falls flat. Or they can change it because there needs to be a change. It's, like, it's not like they've interpreted it differently. They've literally just changed things. And it it doesn't work so well. Um, I mean, I I watched the uh, director's cut of Troy, which is a good three hours long. And watching that, you can kind of get the idea as to why they had to change certain things for a wider audience. And it makes a lot more sense. But I still don't like it, because, well, Paris survives. I mean, who can like that, for a start?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's interesting, going back to what you're saying about uh, the way that... um, Art in graphic novels. Graphic novels are at their most effective when the art can intertwines very well with the emotion of the of the story. And perhaps there's a, a lesson there for uh, movie makers when it comes to the likes of the Odyssey and the Iliad. That that perhaps what they're doing, the presentation of it, the visual presentation of it, is not actually aligning really with what the spirit of the story is. If that makes sense. Yeah, maybe. Uh,
1: I mean, because they can throw all the money at it that they want to make it big and splashy and maybe even, you know, archaeologically accurate to an extent, but um, that doesn't always allow the, the the viewer, I suppose, in this case, to really connect with it.
0: Mm. I think but, also as well the problem you've got is that when you talk about a big budget film, uh, you have so many people that are involved on that and so many different levels, so yeah. those things always get dragged in different directions and I don't think mm. a lot of the time... With those sort of things, the end product is not necessarily the vision of any one person, but it's a lot of different people throwing their o- oar in, uh, not necessarily for the best. Um, sometimes you come together for a project and it works, a number of times it doesn't. And I get the feeling that's been the case with a lot of those uh, movie adaptions.
1: Yeah, Oh, to be the oh, to be the the one person they would ask for advice would be wouldn't that be a dream? <laughs> to know that. Well,
0: I, you so say that, but then they they probably ask you for advice and then largely ignore it. Ignore it, it. Like, yeah, yeah, that's good
1: <laughs> I had such an issue when the BBC made that Atlantis series. I had to stop my students from watching it because one one day they came back uh, after it was on at the weekend and they came back and they were like, "So satyrs were monkeys?" I, I, I beg your pardon. Um, and so I ended up saying, well, if you're going to watch it, you need to write me an essay each time on what was wrong. And they did. And, um, I won't say it was us entirely, but it got canceled. So I'm yeah. going to chalk that up to a personal, uh, personal best there. Um, but it, yeah, just mangling things that don't need to be mangled because they're good enough already, I suppose.
0: Okay. Well, um, just moving to, to wrapping up now then. So, if people want to find the well, first of all, if people want to find the website, what's the what's the address to check all that stuff out?
1: You can just Google Greek Myth Comics with an X. Um, I still don't know why I did that. Um, it haunts me as an English teacher that I spelled comics with an X, but it somehow works in Google searches. So hey, that was a good idea in the in the long run. Yeah,
0: I think that was um, a good just, idea. I think. Yeah,
1: or Greek Myth Comics. I'm on Twitter and I've attempted to use Instagram a little bit because apparently you have to now. And uh, and that, that's just the to address as well. So it just takes you straight there and you can find all the different comics by using the sort of back forward buttons or looking at the archives. And I've tried to organise it a bit for teachers so they can just find the bits they need. And I'm also on Twitter, not undergrouped with comics, uh, so that I can actually in, um, look at other things that aren't work. And end up looking at work instead <laughs> um <laughs> and uh yeah so i'm around and i'm yeah I'm, I'm always at my desk either at school or in my house so
0: and you've got the the amaranthus project in the works anything else on the horizon that you want to oh, advertise yeah. to uh,
1: why not absolutely um uh, lagonium um anthony gibbons over in sydney it's very exciting to be working on a project with but everyone's so distant. Um, the card game Bellum Sacrum, which I have illustrated, uh, is going to come to Kickstarter in the next month or so, which is really exciting. It's uh, up until I got Amarantis, it was my favorite project. It's still, sorry, it is still one of my absolute <laughs> favourite projects. Who else gets to draw the gods um mid-fight? uh and uh there are some, uh, some some of the most fun illustrations i think i've probably ever done so that that's gonna be really, really cool because i i'm a big gamer really as well um so to actually have my artwork in a card game is another dream come true i am absolutely living the dream all the dreams all the dreams of mine. Um, and um, so it's really Amaranthus and uh, bellum sacrum with Ligonium. And at some point I will actually start drawing some more Odyssey for all the GCSE teachers. Um, I've got several of the books that are on the syllabus now done. I think I'm on book 21. I must revisit that. Um, but all of this stuff is coming out within the next year, which is just so exciting um and i get to talk about it i get to talk about my passions and my dreams and isn't that just wonderful thank you so much for indulging me <laughs>
0: <laughs> no worries well, I I okay do, i do this every week talking about the ancient world so it's it's kind of the same for me as well
1: <laughs> yeah you're living your dream too. You're you're uh, allowing us all to live our dreams, Doctor Walsh.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you very much. That's a great place to end on. <laughs> I'll write that on the front of my office door now. <laughs> all right. So, thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Sorry for rambling like a moron. No
0: worries. It's been great. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> Have a lovely rest of your weekend.
0: You too. for listening to coffee and circuses. The Roman poet Juvenal once said, people will be content as long as you give them bread and circuses. But if I'm going to talk to somebody, I'd rather do it over coffee than bread. You can find me, David Walsh, on Twitter at D underscore J underscore Walsh or contact me about the show at circuses at gmail.com. That's with a full and. Don't forget, you can subscribe, rate and review the show on iTunes and Spotify. Big thank you to the Institute of Classical Studies who support the podcast via one of their public engagement grants. The theme tune is La Cahora by Royal Music, available for download at freemusicarchive.org and in the background right now you can hear an 8-bit version of the Indiana Jones theme by Miles Metal originally by John Williams but you all know that, which is available on YouTube. Thanks again for listening and remember, it's better to be a gladiator than a diocletian.